Yeah, sure. Whatever. That's fine. I hate it. <laughs> what? We're here! Do you actually hate it? No. <laughs> <laughs> We're back! This is the final part of David King's story of uh, I Dared My Best Friend to Ruin My Life. And I'm here with uh, David King himself. Hi, <laughs> 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 Sounding like transfixed Bilbo <laughs> out of Fellowship <laughs> of the Ring. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm, of course, Captain Death, and we're also here with uh, Franz McBoohoo. Nice, nice to see you again. Yeah, nice to be, nice to be here. All right, uh, because we got a lot to read, let's do a quick recap. Uh, I already edited the, the first two parts, oh. so, so I remember things fairly well. All right. Um, what happened? In, in, in part two... It starts with um, the roommate's mom come and bail, uh, comes and bails the roommate uh, out of uh, out of jail, and mm. you think he's gonna stick around and help, but he doesn't. He leaves with his mom because he's too afraid of of David and what David can possibly get away with. Um, I think the roommate's name was like Chuck or something. Yeah, um, I think so. I, I don't fucking remember. It doesn't matter because he's not a character anymore. Um, so he, he fucking leaves and then our character is left alone. And for the first time, um, he goes back to his apartment and finds that, uh, their other roommate, I believe, uh, Xander was killed. And so he can't even stay in his apartment anymore. Wait, isn't Xander the our character, main character's name? Oh, is it? It might be. It doesn't matter. The, the, the other roommate... So, roommate number one leaves. Roommate number two is found dead. dead. And then he needs to find somewhere to sleep, so he drives his car to the local Walmart to try and uh, get some shut-eye in the parking lot when he sees David King pull up with his co-worker, mm-hmm. and it turns out he has, like, a security armored car yeah. delivering uh, money right. and doing uh, security details. Um, so he, he finds the time to go to David King's house mm-hmm. while he knows he's somewhere else. Uh, he, he gets past the mom and he goes into David's room and starts rifling through his shit. And he finds uh, a USB drive where David King That's has been right. uh, talking to the person who kidnapped his girlfriend. I want to say Kim. Yes. That little fuck stole my drive. And then um, the episode ends with... Um, him avoiding the police for a while and and avoiding his girlfriend's mom. And when he finally picks up, the officer tells him, uh, Mr. Hispanic officer, (laughs) (laughs) tells him that uh, David King's mom was found dead. In the fire. Her, Her house was lit on fire. David was a sole survivor and he barely made it out alive. Um, and because no one knew where the main character was, which is Xander, I believe, uh-huh. um, he's, he's now under arrest. So we're, we're beginning this next part with 
the main character under arrest, and it kind of seems like David has won. But we also have, like, three more parts to read, I think, four more parts to read, so... Yeah, and I mean... And I mean, like, while we have him here, I mean, hey, David, meh, yeah, David, yeah, <laughs> yes, David, David, why don't you tell us, what what is your goal in all of this? To be a fucking asshole. <laughs> Great. That's a, that, that sounds I'm right. Glad, but, I'm glad to have you here, David. It's, it's been, it's been wonderful. Yeah, I'm glad, yeah, yeah, it's, it's welcome for me, too. I've been, it's been wonderful reading all these stories uh, here with you. Um, I just want you to know that uh, when, when this is done, um, I have filed a um, restraining <laughs> warrant, and uh, you will have to stay at least <gasps> 500, 500 yards away from my house <laughs> after this point. But what about my cock? Can I bring that to your door? And let's jump into this. <laughs> let's, let's get into... Uh, let's Frowns, any, any other anecdotes you want to bring to the table before we... Uh, before we get into uh, what I think is part six. More like part 69. <laughs> 69. All right. Well, that's all you got from him. Yeah. So let's uh, let's jump into this shit. All right. And <laughs> I laid in an empty cell trying to catch a small nap since I'd been up all night and my mind was racing and made it hard to sleep. I kept rehearsing what I was going to say when Hernandez finally came to get me. They'd emptied my pockets into evidence bags, took my fingertips... I said fingertips. No. <laughs> so they ripped them, ripped them. <laughs> Took my fingerprints, and one cop was heading out to search my car. I wasn't dumb. I don't know, he's been acting pretty fucking dumb yeah. this entire time. I knew that the evidence would point, to the uh, point the police to three conclusions. One, that I'd been in David's home recently. After all, the data on those flash drives had been updated just the day before, even the ones that didn't have kidnapping transcription on them. Two, the flash drive containing messages between David and his partner might lead to believe I had kidnapped Katie. Oof. Katie. Oof. And three, that I'd stolen David's hard drive, as well as confidential medical information. I kept trying to play out the conversation with Hernandez, hoped it would pan out the same way it was running in my head, and I was woken up by the slight knock on the bars and my eyes peeked over to see a man in a suit standing there accompanied by an officer. Hello, sorry to disturb you, he said sheepishly. I'm Terry Jason, your public defender. May we talk? Bah. <laughs> yes, of course, I said, sitting up. The officer entered and cuffed me. We were both led to the interrogation room where I'd met Hernandez for the first time. I trust you will shut off the cameras, he said to the officer. And the cop nodded, removed the handcuffs, and closed the door. You can call me Terry, he said, reaching out to shake my hand. We sat down opposite each other with the table between us. I've heard a little about your case and a brief overview from the chief, he said, pulling folders into a briefcase. It's, well, it's long, I admitted. So I hear. I'm going to have to apologize in advance. It's likely that you'll have to repeat your story many times during these proceedings. To prevent this as much as possible, you and I are going to sit down and write your version of events down. That way you can fall back on your statements and ensure that you have to say what you have to say is consistent and accurate. Does that sound good to you? It made sense, so I nodded. First, I have a contract here for you to sign that says you agree to let me represent you in criminal proceedings. He pushed a paper and pen across the table. I skimmed it and signed the bottom. He pulled it back. 
Would you like me to call you Xander or Mr. Jones? He asked with an easy smile. Xander is fine. Okay, Xander, let's start writing. Terry sat patiently with me while I wrote every detail I could think of. I began with my dare conversation, which followed David and I uh, all the way up to this point. It started out as a page with scrambled memories and words to jog my memory. Uh, then it slowly formed into a statement that Terry helped me edit into a cohesive, fact-based statement. When you are asked about your memories or an event, refer to them uh, to this document. We worked for an hour before he spoke again. I have to go to another appointment, but I've asked that you be allowed to continue working in your cell. I've scheduled a meeting with the prosecutor and De Detective Hernandez tomorrow at noon. Do you think you can have it complete by then? Yeah, I think so. And I did. I spent the rest of the day writing the statement, and I slept sporadically, but I was desperate to complete it before noon the next day. So much had happened, and I had so much to say. I was quite proud of the results. In fact, I was more proud of that statement than this one. That statement had a lot more fresh memories. This one feels a lot more scatterbrained. My statement was concise and to the point, but maybe it's for the best that this is the one that I posted. The next day at noon, I was asked into the interrogation room, and Terry sat left... Uh, sat to my left, and Hernandez stood against the wall, facing me with his arms crossed. I couldn't read his expression. On the other side of the table sat an older man who had introduced himself as Chief Gunderson, Hernandez's boss. Beside him stood a tall, lanky man with slicked-back hair. He held his hands behind his back, watching me intently. The tape recorder between us was running. More like Chief I want, Gunderson. I want Gunderson to be your stupid cop voice that you've been doing. <laughs> All right, I've been brought up to date on the cases you're involved in, Chief Gunderson said in a gruff voice. I'm interested to hear everything from your perceptive of considering the recent developments. You arrested me just to hear my side of the story? No, I arrested you because you're suspected of burning down Ann King's house and King Ding Ding, they're, they're <laughs> killing her. <laughs> Chief Gunderson said. Hernandez tells me that you might have felt justified in what you're doing considering all the accusations you've levied against Mr. King levied against, so I'd <clears throat> like to hear what was happening from the beginning and hear your side of the events inside of events. Who's he, I asked, pointing to the lanky man. I'm the prosecutor Adam Lloydeman, he answered. Oh, so you'll be the one trying to put me in prison, so I quipped. You, so you're the Jew. <laughs> <laughs> Terry put a warning hand on my leg. I'll be trying to establish the truth about what happened, he corrected, glaring me down. My client has prepared a statement that he intends to wholly rely on, Terry said, pushing copies of the 17 handwritten pages across the table. The chief and prosecutor took prosecutor took one. Hernandez stepped forward and grabbed one, too. He instantly started reading from the spot in the corner. I tried to catch his eyes, but he didn't look at me. I trust we can begin the process of discovery today. I'll need copies of everything, as well as a copy of the official ind indictment. I tuned Terry out and focused on Hernandez. There was something about his demeanor that caught my attention. I couldn't tell what it was. I focused on him for the entire meeting, trying to figure out what my instinct was telling me. They talked over the legal details with Terry and corroborated the process of discovery between the two parties. A couple days later, Terry was sitting with me in the interrogation room, 
once again, talking through what he'd learned from Discovery. Discovery is when the two sides of a case share evidence, so there are no surprises when they go to trial. Anything not brought up in Discovery is not admissible in court. Before trial, though, would come my arraignment. That's when the formal charges would be laid against me, and I would have to plead either guilty or not guilty. Terry was talking through Discovery with me, so I would be prepared for what they'd say during the hearing and decide whether I'd plead guilty or not guilty. And here's what I learned. After I'd been arrested, the police had searched my car and found the hard drive, flash drives, and, psychi and psychiatric evaluation. And something else that was curious. A half-empty gas canister. That fucker had planted a gas can in my car at some point without me knowing. I'd been in my car all night, so either David knew he was going to burn his house down before I went to Walmart, or he planted it the few minutes I was in the police station. Can I, can I, I just want to make a prediction here. Yeah, prediction time. What if he is David King? And he's been doing Fight everything, up. he's been doing everything to himself, like, and trying to blame it on someone else, and he's actually the one with the mental problem. Well, I, mental illness. I think David King is an actual person, and I think multiple people have seen him, including Detective Hernandez already, so I think we can count that one out. I'm right here, you fuck! <laughs> I told Terry about the gas can being planted, and he wrote down some notes. The police had searched through the contents of the flash drives and discovered the conversation between David and his partner, except, as predicted, they accused me of writing the messages and therefore linked me to a kidnapping. The text file never specified Katie's names, but they claimed Katie's kidnapping was the most likely scenario, since I knew about it and was therefore involved. Despite the evidence, however, the prosecutor didn't feel like they could convince a jury without more evidence, so Katie's kidnapping wasn't planned to be laid against me as a formal charge, but they were searching for evidence. They had also tried to open the contents of David's hard drive, but found that it was encrypted just like I had. They'd sent it off to the lab to be analyzed for whatever data could be salvaged. The medical report was classified as inadmissible because it pertained to an individual who did not consent to the dissemination of its contents. As a citizen of the United States, you get some control over who can look at your medical records, denying it use in a courtroom is right to a certain situation, including this one. David had decided to exercise that right and deny access. As a result, the prosecutor could only charge me with possession of someone else's medical records without permission. And this was a serious crime, apparently. Terry had also been informed that the identity theft case was being combined into the charges against me. The credit card companies had done their own inve investigations and were filing criminal charges against me for fraud. Why would they do that? Because a technical investigation into the origin of the registration for fraudulent cards found that the reporter himself, Xander Jones, had indeed filled out and completed the registration forms from his own computing device. In other words, they traced the IP address of who had filled out the registration forms for the card online and found that my computer had been the one to sign up, which meant that they were accusing me of signing up, spending all the money, and then reporting fraud. Also a major crime. The emptying of my bank account was also pinned on me. Again, they claimed that I was trying to commit fraud by filing a false claim with the bank. The police had finally gotten the security tapes from the convenience store where their ATM was located. There were three angles. One camera was above the door, one was above the register, and one was in the far corner of the store opposite the ATM. The tapes showed a man in a dark hoodie walk into the store. The video was grainy, as you would expect, but despite that, a large symbol on the back of the hoodie could be recognized. The man in the hoodie walked, into the, walked up to the ATM and pulled something from their pocket. The prosecution claimed it was a cell phone since the timestamp on the camera matched the timestamp of the log into my bank account. 
The hooded figure looks down at it for a few minutes before typing into the ATM, blocking the screen with their body. The money spat out, he grabbed it and walked toward the door. The camera on the opposite corner from the ATM was the only one to catch a glimpse of his face. It was grainy, but the prosecution compared it to my pictures from my Facebook profile to claim that it had just enough resemblance to have been me. Comparing to David's picture, it could have been him too. I'd argued that point with the prosecutor pretty fiercely, and when I was done with my outburst, the prosecutor told me that the investigators had also found a hoodie with the same logo in my apartment. Then they played their trump card. The bank had been logged into from the IP address assigned to my own cell phone during that time period. Regarding the fire, which was the main accusation against me, they had decent evidence. The gas can was one, the voicemail was another, but there was even stronger evidence. When I first arrived at Walmart, I parked near the front doors in view of the cameras hanging off the building. They clearly saw me drive away when I was heading to David's house, and when I came back, though, I had parked in the back of the lot, intending to be away from other cars while I slept. The cameras could barely make out my car parking in the back lot. It was too dark to tell if, if it was even a vehicle, the prosecutor claimed. So realistically, I only had my own testimony to support the fact that I got back to Walmart at around 6 p.m. I should add that it took about 15 minutes to get to David's house from the Walmart so you can understand the time frame. Fire crews had received a call at 6.04 p.m. that David's home was on fire. They had raced over immediately and found the house burning brightly. David had been found trying to lift his mother up from the ground in her bedroom, and they'd both been brought out and discovered that Mrs. K was already dead from suffocation. David had been rushed to the hospital with a few minor burns and some smoke inhalation. He had yet to explain his version of events to the police. The firefighters had filed a report stating that the fire had been started from the middle of the living room where a puddle of gasoline had ignited. The flames had spread through the house. Traces of gasoline were found in various rooms, making them believe that the suspect, me, went from room to room and splashed gasoline around, just like in the movies. They also concluded that the fire had been started sometime before it was called in because of how much damage had already occurred by the time they arrived. I now know that David had set an alert on his phone that was linked to the app he installed on my phone, and when my GPS read that I was at his house, an alert would be sent to his phone as a text message. I can only guess that he'd jump into his car, left work, sped all the way home. And that's why I think the time was so close. I'm telling you all of this detail so you can see how hopeless I felt while I sat in jail. I was there for two whole weeks where it was the same accusations and evidence over and over. I really started to just give up. During the first few days, I asked Terry about how we could prove that it was David specifically who had committed these crimes, and he frowned and told me I should be more concerned about being proven innocent, period not on pinning it to another man. By the end of the two weeks, I was ready to just plead guilty rather than fight. The arraignment went poorly. No charges were thrown out that had been placed against me. I would list all the crimes I was being charged with, but I don't remember their exact phrases and I know I'll get it wrong. You get the general idea that I was fucked. Bail had been set at 5k, which essentially guaranteed I'd be stuck in jail for a while. I had already contacted my parents out of desperation, and they would try to raise money from family members and friends, but couldn't pay immediately. After three weeks, I was very depressed, not eating much. Terry tried to cheer me up by showing me parts of arguments he was preparing, but nothing could cheer me up. I thought about Katie a lot. Clark and Ivan. 
So Clark's the roommate mm. who ran away. Ivan's the one who's dead, I think. Yeah. And I missed my parents. I also missed Clark's first hearing in the graffiti case, so I had no idea how that was going, which made me feel guilty that I couldn't support him. And during the time in jail, Hernandez only came to visit me once. It was during the third week. I jumped off my bed and ran to the bars. Hernandez, please tell me you've got some good news. <coughs> no. You're being transferred to county jail. Your trial will be happening there. Why? Just how it works. Did they find anything on Isaac? Ah, Isaac was the dead one. Mm -hmm. I'd been clinging to the hope that Isaac's body would turn up evidence against David. I just wanted to nail him for that one crime. Just one. I wanted it so bad that my hands would shake when I even talked about it. Yeah, I'm not allowed to talk to that. Avoiding my eyes. Anyway, I came here to tell you that you'll be moved in three days. Hernandez, I, I thought you believed me. I do. Until you burn David's house down. Now I'm not so sure who the psychopath really is, amigo. I didn't do it! But he walked away. Three days later, as Hernandez had said, they made, they came to move me. After dinner, I was cuffed and led to the outdoors to a police cruiser that would drive me to the county jail two hours away. The two officers who drove were polite to me, but instantly cranked up the radio when we got on the road. I could barely hear myself think, and was starting to get frustrated. I always hated car trips without my own music. Now I was stuck in a two-hour ride with my hands cuffed behind my back and radio blasting music I didn't like. We were about an hour in and I was ready to scream. I started. I stared out the window, trying to find something interesting to watch and focus my mind on. We were on a two-lane highway with no other cars in sight. It was getting late, so looking back, I figured people were home for the night and that's why it was so dead. My view of a nice lake was suddenly obstructed by a big, gray truck. I tried to find something else to look at, but then I noticed it was getting dangerously close to our lane. I looked up at it and saw that it was an armored truck, and it had the same logo as the company David worked for. My panic was instantaneous. Something gripped my lungs and kept me from vocalizing. The truck slowly neared the side of the police cruiser before pressing up against it. The cops shouted. The cop who was driving slammed on the brakes and the other cop dropped the radio he was reaching for. The, cru the cruiser didn't slow down fast enough, however, and the truck nudged it off the road. I braced for impact as we rolled down the grassy slope and slammed into a tree. My seat belt had held me in place, but my head ached when it rammed against the driver's headrest. The two cops were unconscious, lying at awkward angles. Neither of them had their seat belts on. I started yanking at the handcuffs, trying to reach my seatbelt to undo it, and I reached a red button and pressed it. And when I turned back around to wriggle out of a loose seatbelt, I saw David fucking King walking down the slope toward the car. Oh shit, oh shit, oh fuck, I cursed, turning to reach the door handle with my cuffed hands, no such luck. The doors were locked from the outside to prevent prisoners from opening the doors on their own. David got closer and closer until he was right outside the car, and he shot a smirk at me and opened the door. I tried to back away, but he grabbed my arm and tossed me out of the car, and I fell to the dirt with a gasp. I sat up a little and saw that he'd turned his attention back to the police car, and I saw one of the cops beginning to stir. David opened the driver door and pulled something small from his pocket, and with a quick motion, he stabbed the cop in the neck blood spurted out and the cops started screaming and gurgling, grabbing for his neck. I think I screamed too, but I can't remember. 
He closed the door and walked around to the other side. I could see the other cop was moving, but I couldn't tell what he was doing. Apparently, he was reaching for the radio because David yanked it out of his hands and set it on the car's roof. And then he stabbed that cop, too. Both of them were unconscious in seconds. Don't get up! He threatened, walking towards me. I didn't bother trying. He walked over to where I sat and went behind me. I tried to face him, but he kicked me lightly. He knelt down, and I felt him scratching the metal on the handcuffs. I was confused, but sat absolutely still. <laughs> nice to see you again, Xander! Walking in front of me, I watched him with true fear. His entire demeanor <laughs> was different from the night we graffitied the house, as frowns and <laughs> does some noodle arms. He was changing. When I didn't answer, he laughed. He was twisting the small object in his gloved hands. I noticed through the blood that it was crudely crafted shiv about the length and the width of a finger. I told you, I'm not going to kill you, Xander. In fact, for once, I'm here to help you out. Sort of. What does that mean? <laughs> Remember the night you graffitied my house? I nodded. I told you I'd consider giving you advice in how to succeed in our little game. Well, the time has come. I'm going to give you more than advice. See, you're no fun in jail. I've seen the evidence they have on you. You're going to get away for a long time, and I don't want that. So I'm granting you a second chance to keep playing. He walked behind me again, and I felt sticky blood on my fingers and, and hand as he pressed the small shiv into my hand. Now, here's how this works. Standing back in front of me. I'm going to leave this knife with your fingerprints on it in the car. They'll think you stabbed the cops and made a run for it. I'm going to remove your handcuffs and let you make a run for it. You have a... 30-minute head start before I called in on the radio. Oh, God! He's got a knife! He stabbed the drivers and he's... David cut off, mimicking the call he'd make. Goosebumps ran up my spine. I'll be sitting here and waiting. If you attempt to come back, I'll just take you away in my car and we'll play a different game. Do you understand? I nodded, too terrified to speak. Get up! He commanded, and I struggled to my feet, rolling in the dirt to get my knees and stand. Come here. Moving towards the police car, I followed. He opened the police car door and put his hand against the officer's neck. I flinched when he flicked blood at me. It splattered across my jail suit and face. I almost threw up. There we go. He motioned for me to turn around, and I did. He pulled the handcuff key off the dead cop and unlocked the cuffs. I rubbed my wrists and they were sore and marked from the car crash. I considered trying to get the shiv from him in attack, but the idea of going with him into his car to play other games terrified me. David had a, a set of backpack next to the car and now set it in my hands. Hernandez says hello, he said with a malicious grin. I paid him a lot of money to get him to let me track this car. He demanded that I give you half. Of course, I'm not that generous. So here's $2,000, a change of clothes, new shoes, and a map. Nearest town is 
ten miles west. Better hurry. Remember, in thirty minutes I'm calling it in. My jaw shook as I put my backpack on and started heading towards the setting sun. The forest looked dark and menacing. I looked back when I was partway through the trees, and there he was, leaned up against the car, drinking from a coffee container one of the cops had brought with him. Shuddering in shock and absolutely terrified, I walked into the woods. Part 7. I had rifled through the backpack and found exactly what David had said. Shoes, a pair of clothes, $2,000 cash in 100s and 20s, and a road atlas booklet. I still had that atlas and use it when I'm moving on. Once I had food, water, and an inventory of my belongings, I could start to plan and work. I dumped my jail clothes into a dumpster and paid for a haircut to try and alter my appearance. Yes, I washed the blood off my face and hair before going in. When I looked into the mirror afterwards, I still recognized myself, so I paid the, hairdre so I paid the hairdresser to dye my hair too. I know there are self-dyeing kits that cost way less, but I had nowhere to do it. I knew I couldn't stay in this town because David knew exactly where to find me and I had no idea how long this truce would last, so I had no intention of staying here one more night. I bought a bus ticket to an adjacent state and arrived only a few hours later. The town I chose was larger than the one I had come from. This was intentional so that I could have anonymity and a better selection of services for the homeless. This town had a soup kitchen that I could use to cut down on costs as well as a homeless shelter. I knew I couldn't live long on the already dwindling 2000s, so I started going to the library and searching online for odd jobs. I had to find something that wouldn't run a background check, if at all possible, because of the manhunt that was probably going on for me. I saw nothing about it in the news yet, but it had only been a day. After a week of searching, I found a job at a seedy telemarketing place that paid cash under the table. You'd be surprised how many of these there are. I hated the work, but I was out of the sun and making some money. Before I found a run-down and half-empty apartment complex to live in and paid weekly, I slept in the homeless shelter. I could have just stayed there and saved a lot of money, sure, but I hated going there and avoided as long as possible when nighttime came. The money I spent on the apartment was well worth it. It had some semblance of a life set up, and now I could get the real work done. I had gone to the mall and bought the cheapest prepaid Android phone they had and signed up for a monthly subscription that gave me unlimited data as well as texts and calls. I need to find a store to pay cash and top up every month, but it wasn't an expensive plan and I needed the internet when the library was closed. During the days, I'd spend my time in the library with a cheap notebook I'd bought doing more research similar to what I had done in the Walmart parking lot. I also spent a lot of time working out and trying to get stronger. Before I had the apartment, I'd paid for a gym membership and showered there instead of at the homeless shelter. I decided to keep the membership and use their machines to get a more effective workout. The plan at the time had been to stay alive and away from David and the cops. I stayed inside the day the news broke of my escape in the other state. The police finally admitted to needing help in finding me and went public for a request for information. They listed off the crimes I had accused of, as well as a request to question me in regards to the two dead policemen. I wrote down every detail of the investigation, though none of it proved useful other than background knowledge. I kept up with the sporadic news releases so that I could stay as far ahead of the cops as possible. For the next six months, I stayed in this city. During that time, I learned a lot. Living on a tiny budget, home repairs when the landlord wasn't wouldn't fix something, hiding when you suspect you're being followed, and navigating the streets at night all became second nature to me. I also continued to study computers and networks. I am by no means any kind of licensed professional. I learned by deciding what I wanted to know how to do and then practicing it over and over. One day I was at a library when the news was published online. 
David fucking King was suspected of murdering the two cops. I was ecstatic and couldn't believe my luck. David King had finally made a mistake that had cost him. The news story did not specify why the police suspected him, but I didn't care. David was going to get what he deserved. Oh, right! A month passed with still no news on whether David had been captured or not. I found myself tempted to call Detective Hernandez and ask him what he knew, but I didn't. I learned a lot of self-control and risk assessment during those seven months. Risk analysis was built into my daily decisions. After checking for news on David for the third time in a week, I decided that I would no longer be a bystander waiting for David to be caught. I decided to begin actively hunting David. Since I knew he was good with computers, the internet was the best place to look for traces of him. I searched hundreds of forums, scouring for a list of keywords that I thought David would either post or look for. I won't include that list here. In a couple of weeks, I found one of his online accounts on Stack Exchange. I took notes on everything he commented as well as his account activity. Fortunately, he had kept the same account for several years. Granted, it was under a pseudonym, but he'd kept it. He still uses it today, actually, I just checked. He was logged in seven, hour ago when I, seven hours ago when I wrote this. Once I found one account, I held my clues to many others. He slipped out information accidentally that I could use to locate his other accounts. Posts like... I've asked this question on this other forum and got no response, so now I'm going to ask it here. Would link the two accounts and reveal yet another gold mine of data for my study. I spent weeks gathering pseudonyms, post records, and IP addresses he'd used, anything I could find with the tools I had available. Some pseudonyms he used more than once and others he created as throwaway names. The research gave me invaluable insight into the way David thinks, talks, and acts. I got to know him on a level I could never have hoped to understand from just the beginning, uh, just from being his friends in high school. It had made me hate him. It had made my hate for him grow, not diminish. I didn't only check the regular web either. Some people claim the deep web is a terrifying place where you can get killed at every turn, but it isn't if you don't act stupid. I installed Tor and began doing the same data mining in the deep web. The results were fantastic. I found catalogs worth of information. I was able to identify a lot of his false identities online and then map them to, to fake social media pages he had created for, for them when he might need a cover-up. And all of this came because he insisted on using the same usernames over and over again. Why did he do that? Because he wanted people to know who he was when they interacted and respect him. Weakness. Fuck you, Xander! I did it because I liked the names! <laughs> Skank Hunt 4269. Pussy Pounder 69! One day, just for the hell of it, I sent him a message as myself to one of his accounts. I made my email address visible on purpose. He'd need it. The spam mail started instantly after that. The response was so childish and brash that I was smiling that whole day. I knew that I could get to him. I also tried calling the psychological institute where David's records should be. If I was lucky, I could get my hands on another copy of his evaluation and study it with new eyes. There was no such luck, however. David had called them and told them not to send copies to anyone because he was the current victim of fraud. How ironic. I was able to use his accounts that were used the most to track down his location. Sometimes he used a VPN and sometimes he didn't. Recently, last week actually, he moved to a nearby city. He seemed to be following his own instructions to his partner to move along after only a couple of days. He was jumping from city to city, but not crossing the entire country every time he moved. He was making a snail-like trail throughout the city, throughout the country. 
I went over to the town he'd moved to and walked the streets for hours, hoping to get a glimpse of him. It was just my luck that he walked out of a grocery store just as I was walking in. He didn't notice me, but I followed him back to where he was staying, and for a couple of days at least I knew where he was. The next few days were spent in surveillance. I watched him day and night, following him everywhere. I saw no sign of Katie being with him, though, which only made sense. His partner only came to visit once. He stayed for only ten minutes before leaving in a car I hadn't seen him arrive in. I blew my only opportunity to follow him, since I had no car of my own. When David moved on, I followed him. I slept on the streets again, unwilling to let him leave my sight. I followed him around and learned so much about his routines and habits. When David moved on, I followed him. I slept on the streets again, unwilling to let him leave my sight. I followed him around and learned so much about him from his routines and habits. I had learned so much about my enemy and my nemesis that I was really ready to confront him for the last time. Now, everyone, we come to the crux of the story. This is the focal point that the series has led up to. Hello, David King. <laughs> Hello, Xander. I know you're reading this. I see you check it during your morning coffee routine at Starbucks. It took you a few days to find it, but I knew that if I told the story through to the end and gained enough popularity, you'd find it. The more people who became interested, the more likely you were to see it, and now you're here. I'm sitting here, watching to see your face when you read this part. This has... <laughs> This has been the build-up of the entire series. I wrote all of this for one moment. You read every comment. I've seen you scrolling through them and opening sub-comments to see what they say. You're very invested in what everyone has to say, David. And the one thing you can conclude from this comment is everyone here hates you. Oh no! Every last one. Mm. Hundreds of people now hate you. Many of them have offered time, talent, and cunning towards your complete destruction. I have refused their help until now. I want Katie back. All my stalking hasn't told me what really matters where she is, so I'm using this thread to get to you. Either you give Katie back or I release everything about you to all of the people who hate you. I know aliases, addresses, phone numbers, comments admitting to illegal activity, social security numbers, driver's licenses, passports, online account names, everything. The police will have it all too. Oh fuck! I've been tracking you for so long, David. Ew. The first few lines of every post where I said, for example, that you'd almost found me, they were lies. I've been watching from afar during the entire publication of these posts. Ew. Right now, as I am about to press submit, you just bought a sandwich at Jimmy John's. Ew. A meatball sub that's gonna go right to your thighs, you fat piece of shit. Oh, fuck. It's currently Saturday, July 2nd, 7.32 p.m. There's your proof that I'm nearby. Convinced yet? <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> bring, bring Katie to Wells Park at 10 p.m. tonight and leave your partner behind. Where's Chris Hansen? If you don't show, I will release all of the information I have, dedicate the rest of my life to updating that information, and releasing it to anyone here who wants to do something about it. I've set up a time release of all the information. It will be automatically posted via private message to everyone who ever commented on these threads, and they will spread it even further. The timed release will occur at 3 a.m. tonight unless I'm there to stop it. You need two people to stop it, each one with their own password. No, I won't tell you who the other person is. 
for everyone else here on the thread, I will have another post up in, in at least 48 hours, giving myself a, a time buffer to respond in case David tries anything stupid. If I don't write an update and the information has been released, you'll know what happened. I did. You have all asked what you could do to help me, and if you receive this information, do what you need to do. See you soon, David. Xander, you poo-poo! What did I ever do to you? Well, part eight, I'm back. Hi, everyone. I'm alive. <laughs> well, I'll just start telling you what happened. I'm starting to shake as I even think about writing everything down, but I have to finish this. And after I posted my last update, it was go time. I've been preparing for this event for so long that it was hard to believe that I had just hit submit. I put my phone in my pocket and watched David from across the street. He was eating dinner just like I said in my post. His phone clearly went off because he perked up his head and grabbed his phone from the table. I'd seen his phone go off whenever I posted before, so I knew he set an alert. I watched his eyes scan the post with interest and then his eyes slowly widened. I knew when he reached my favorite part because his gaze shot up and looked around the restaurant. He wrapped up his sandwich and quickly walked out of the restaurant, his eyes scanning the street while stealing glances at his phone to keep reading. It was a very satisfying scene. It makes me smile just thinking about it. I didn't follow him home, instead I waited for the inevitable email. Do you want to know why David was so scared of my information release? He was scared because the internet was his safe haven. He was powerful there. When he had our dare conversation and for so long after that, I was the computer illiterate one and he ruled that domain. And now I had managed to track in his safe place. Before I had been weak and an easy target for his games, now that I had seriously fought back and threatened him, he was worried. The email came while I could still see him walking away. Hello, Zen. Bravo! But I'm not going to meet in a public park. He wrote, and to be honest, I posted Wells Park online because I figured he would want to change the location if it was a public place and I didn't want to release the real address online. I didn't want anyone crashing the party and getting hurt. I'm sorry for lying. I'll be apologizing for lying a lot by the end of the post. I told him that I'd email him the new address in 15 minutes before it was time to meet. He didn't respond. I didn't want him to have the address too early and show up to set any traps. He really should... He really should have countered with a location of his own, but he didn't. I stood up, time to go to the warehouse and wait. The location I had chosen used to be a warehouse of some kind. I didn't care what it had been used for, only that it was abandoned and unguarded. If David tried anything stupid, which I thought he was going to, I didn't want any more innocent bystanders in the way. I took an Uber to a suburban area a few blocks away. When the Uber left, I walked to the warehouse. When I arrived, it was almost 9 p.m., not completely dark yet, but getting there. I walked around the perimeter of the warehouse, looking for any sign that David had beaten me here. There wasn't any sign that I could see. I approached a side door and pulled a key out of my pocket, and I unlocked the chains from the door handle and stored them just inside the door as I entered. The soundscape changed from an ambient evening in the city to a tomb. The factory had a single floor that was one big open space. High above it, catwalks ran along the rafters, all leading from the warehouse manager's office, which was a metal cube suspended at one end of the warehouse. Shelf scaffolding that had been abandoned, broken up in empty space. Crates and pallets were strewn around here and there, making hiding places. I had previously come and strategically arranged them in case it came down to a firefight. That's also when I put chains on every door. There were four entrances into the warehouse, not including the windows near the ceiling. I had chained them all except the one I entered through. That was my funnel. 
If you've ever gone hunting for live game, you know what I'm talking about. There was nothing left to do but wait now. I sent him the address at 9.45. A rattling of the front door alerted me that he was here. He was a half hour late, which was an attempt to unnerve me. The door jolted up repeatedly, but the chains held it shut. It was dark now. The only light streamed in the windows from industrial-style streetlights outside. How am I supposed to meet you if you won't let me in? David called from outside. The hair on the back of my neck rose despite all my preparations. It was time. David tried all the doors. He skipped over the only one that was unlocked until he absolutely had to. He knew what a funnel was, but he had no choice. The windows were too high and would result in a very high fall once he got in. The side door silently opened and in walked David fucking King. Yay! I stayed where I was behind a wooden crate stacked with pallets. If he came in shooting, I didn't want to be an easy target. Slow clapping filled the echoing room. Well done! David chanted. I peered through the pallets to see the door shut behind David. He was alone. Where is she? I said aloud enough to be heard. I'm so very impressed with you, Xander. Completely unexpected. He pulled his phone out of his pocket, letting up a wall behind him. He began to read. Fuck you, David. Hashtag. Fuck David King. Xander, you brilliant bastard. Go get your girl. We are coming for you, David. Thousands of these. Almost all saying the same thing. How does it feel to have people rooting for you? Do you feel better equipped to fight me now? Where is she? David knocked on the door behind him, and it opened. In shuffled Katie, her face was red and shimmering with tears. Duct tape had been wrapped around her entire head several times, covering her mouth. Her wrists had been similarly wrapped. A band of tape almost tied her ankles together, but enough slack that she could make small steps. A thick arm was wrapped around her neck as a tall blonde man with extremely curly hair guard guided her into the room. I said to leave your partner behind, it echoed. If you don't want him here, then come kill him! I didn't respond. God fucking damn it. So, Xander, how would you like to proceed? You're running the show here. David called, looking around the warehouse. Send Katie forward and leave. Sorry. I don't have a guarantee that you won't release all that information anyway. Come on out here and we'll discuss my terms. Like hell I am. David looked to his partner, and his partner used his free arm to punch Katie in the side. She cried out as best as she could through the duct tape and faltered, but the blonde man held her up by the neck. <laughs> we can do this all night. I stood up. My hiding place was off to David's left, so I walked into the semicircle until I was directly in David's line of sight. Come closer. I stepped forward until we were a couple yards apart. Closer. No, that's not the lie. Closer. <laughs> Look how you've changed! Your hair looks good! You should have always dyed it darker. You're so stoic now, confident. Being on the run has changed you. I guess all we had to do was increase the minimum required effort. I guess, I guess all we had to do to increase the minimum required effort was to go on the run, huh? Then maybe... We could have avoided this whole mess. Then again, it's all been so fun. Let's get this over with. Oh, so hostile. 
What's your first term? He leaves, pointing to the blonde man. Okay. David shrugged. Before I could process what was happening, he pulled a handgun from his jacket pocket and shot the blonde man in the head. He collapsed, dragging Katie down with him. Bang, bang! Katie gave a muffled shriek and untangled herself from the body, dragging herself backwards along the floor. She backed into the wall and stayed there, eyes wide. David looked down at the body before slowly turning his head to me. <laughs> My turn! Jesus Christ. It finally hit me. How in over my head I was. I might understand David King, but I could never ever match his sickness. It occurred that I could die that night, despite David's rules. Xander, are you down with the sickness? Now show me the data! That's my first term. I want to know exactly what you're going to release, so I know it's worth my only bargaining chip. I tried to hide my shaking hands as I pulled my phone out. I went into my emails, uh, draft on a throwaway account where I'd saved a copy of my email to him. I'm sorry, he went into this shit defenseless? He doesn't have a knife on him? Or because anything? he's a fucking imbecile! Why, why doesn't he have a gun? Because he's weak! I'm strong! <laughs> I sent it to you, I said, and David smiled reassuringly. Fast as a lizard, he spun around and snatched Katie off the floor. She screamed as he stood her up and held her out in front of him. Oh, I pulled my Ruger SR-45 handgun out of my concealed carry holster. I'd worn and tried to get a clear shot. He was too fast and caught me by surprise, so she was in front of him before I'd even lined up in sight. Ooh, so you have a gun after all. Didn't see that part in your post. I carry mine in my bosom. <laughs> Relax, I'm just making sure I can read this in peace. He held the gun to her head with one hand while opening his phone in the other. My mind raced, trying to figure out the next steps. David waltzed over into the hostage negotiation that I had arranged myself and took over. He took his time reading through the data dump. His expression changed between surprise and a smirk repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> well, now... Putting his phone away and slipping his now free arm around Katie's neck. I had no idea I was so careless. He sounded anything but careless. Katie gasped and he suddenly gripped her neck tighter and pressed the muzzle against her temple. Let's move somewhere smaller. Looking up at the manager's box. I don't want you running away when the going gets tough. You first, Sand Sand. <laughs> what the fuck? Nodding his head towards the stair to stairs to the right, the door he had entered from had a set of graded stairs off to the right that led up to the manager's box. They went up towards the back wall, then turned to the left straight into the side of the manager's box. Another set of stairs should have been on the other side, mirroring these, but they had been disassembled and lay in a heap. I kept my face to David as I walked towards the stairs. I kept my gun pointed in his direction and kept his muzzle and he kept his muzzle against Katie's head. Katie was sobbing and watching me. And when I reached not that muzzle. <laughs> You're not a fucking dog. When I reached the stairs, I slowly backed up to them. David followed once I was halfway up. At the top of the stairs, the doors to the office stood. To the left, a graded walkway led out over the floor, spreading into catwalks, and sprawled the entire place. I opened the metal door to the office and backed in. The only furniture in the room were two heavy wooden tables. The rest of the office was bare. A thin slit of a window overlooked the warehouse floor. 
David pushed Katie into the room with his arms still around her neck and shut the door behind him. I followed him with my gun standing against the opposite wall where the second door leading into the office was. The office was big enough that we were still a few yards away from one another. Now, I don't have to worry about you running off into the dark warehouse. As fun as hide-and-seek sounds, I don't have the time. You know, when I found your posts, I thought I had stumbled across some sort of therapy story that you were putting up. But it was so much better. You really have surprised me. You've grown and changed to try to beat me. But you haven't changed enough. I can see it in your face and your trembling hands. You are still you, Xander. Xander Sand. Xander Sandy Sacks. Zoolander. <laughs> You've changed your exterior. But inside, you still have the same motivations and weaknesses. He tightened his grip on Katie again. I know your next term is for me to let Katie go. So I'm going to skip your turn. You know what? I would prefer that she remain in my custody rather than getting shot. So I suggest you put your gun down. I stood my ground. I wanted to take a shot, but I didn't want to risk him being faster than me. I was confident in my aim, but not my speed. Put it down! I stayed. In an instant, the gun he held left to her temple fired, a shot into the floor, and returned to her head. She sobbed, and the heat of the barrel on the skin must have hurt. I'm not fucking around, Xander! Slowly, I set the gun on the floor and kicked it in his direction. <laughs> Good choice! Have you realized why you're here yet? My face answered him. What did that even mean? Of course I did. You think you're here to save Katie, but you aren't. She's been gone for a year now, and you've only built up memories of her. The Katie you knew is dead. But not even that Katie is the reason you're here now. No. You gave up on a happily ever after with Katie long ago. This isn't a hero's quest to save the princess. This is a revenge assault on the dragon. I tightened my jaw. I refused to admit he was right. This isn't about saving her. This is about outsmarting me. Keeping Katie safe and sound is just a result. His smile growing. So in that sense, <laughs> you and I are the same now. It's about outsmarting the other one. You started out simply living, then progressed to defending yourself, then to protecting your loved ones. And now you arrive where I wanted you to be all along, trying to ruin me. It took you a couple of years, but you made it. At least most of the way. Even if Katie isn't the true reason you're here, she's still your weakness. I'm going to guess that other people in your life are the same way. You still have weaknesses that tie you down. I learned how to get rid of mine. Like your own mother? She was a liability. It wasn't personal. You're a sick fuck. 
The door behind David silently opened. I'd oiled those hinges for hours, making sure they made absolutely no noise. (laughs) I'm about to get a lot sicker! He started to pull the trigger when he was tackled from behind. Katie tumbled out of his grasp as he tried to use both arms to catch himself. His gun went off, but the shot hit the wall. (laughs) Katie rolled away from David's reach. David started to get up, but the assailant was on their feet faster. David on his hands and knees, looking up at the attacker. Remember me, bitch? Clark jeered and punched him in a downward arc into the side of David's head. David dropped to the floor, but he was still conscious. He grabbed Clark's legs and tore him into the ground. I raced forward and pulled Katie out of the scuffle. I dragged her out of the door before getting her to her feet and cutting the tape on her hands with my pocket knife. There wasn't time to get the layers off her head. She was wide-eyed. Run! I hissed. Go outside. The cops will be here soon. I turned back inside to go help Clark. Not a romantic reunion, I know, but there was still a psychopath in there. David and Clark were wrestling on the floor, throwing punches and grappling with one another. Now you fuck! David was bigger and landed a few hard punches. I looked over my shoulder, making sure Katie was stumbling down the steps. I dove You don't in. walk. You stumble down those fucking stairs. Yeah, she, <laughs> she really couldn't walk. I dove in, aiming for my gun that was just beside the scuffle. David saw me and kicked my legs like a tentacle out of the ocean. I tripped and knocked the gun into the corner where I fell. David suddenly shoved Clark off of him, practically tossing him onto the tables. I watched as David jumped up and made for the gun. I writhed on the ground and kicked. My toes barely caught the gun and sent it skittering across the room. There were two guns in the room, both on opposite sides, two of us and only one of him. Clark rolled off the desk and jumped into David as he ran for the gun. They both slammed into the wall. I crawled for my gun, which was just out of reach by a couple feet. There was another crash behind me. The fingers wrapped around the gun and I twisted around, aiming in their direction. I had turned just in time to see David fire a shot into Clark. There was no hesitation as I squeezed the trigger. It struck his shoulder. He whirled to face me. I fired again and again. And again. And again. Even after he stumbled back against the wall and slid down, I kept firing just to be sure, just to make sure that the fucker would never get back up again. My gun clicked to alert me that I had emptied the clip. Ten shots. Every one had hit David fucking King. I exhaled and dropped the gun, letting my head fall back to the floor. My heart pounded, my whole body shook, but I couldn't rest yet. Shakily, I got to my feet and stumbled over to Clark, and he was crumpled against the wall, clutching his left shoulder. Blood oozed through his fingers. Damn, he shot me, he said clearly in shock, and that's when the police sirens could be heard. Get out of here. No, I'm going to. I'll be fine. Police will be here any second to help me. Just get out. Get back on the run. I'll contact you when it's safe. Go. I'm not letting you get arrested again until they face the facts until they get the facts straight. I rushed towards the door, stuffing the Ruger back in my pants as I moved. I paused at the door. Thank you. Go! Get your your facts straight, Jack. Get your facts straight, Jack. I sprinted down the steps and ran to the door furthest to the back of the building. I unlocked the chains on the door and pulled it open, ducking into the night. I had run this path over and over, making sure it was good enough for an escape in case something went wrong. I'm also going to assume that David had a, um... Bulletproof vest. Kevlar. Um, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I went to my previous established hiding place and hunkered down in the hidden 
uh, to stay hidden. I sent a text to the server my script was on and entered the password to cancel the info dump. There was never a second person that was a bluff. There is no reason to release that information to you now since David is dead. I'm sorry, I really appreciate the level of support to ruin David, but there's no point now. I thought he'd still be alive afterward. The police will get it eventually as evidence, though. I also tapped out I am alive in the Reddit thread to alert everyone that I had survived. Then I collapsed into sleep. This morning I was thinking clearly again and feeling better. I ate and drank lots to the counter the shock. I had started making plans on where I'll go next. It isn't safe to stay here any longer. The news hasn't said anything about the incident yet, but I'm sure the story will break eventually. I had stayed glued to the radio app on my phone all day and am listening right now, hoping for an update on Katie and Clark. Thank you, Reddit. You've helped me remain positive these past few days and set this trap. It's finally done. I regret so many things about what I did and how I reacted in the past. I should have fought more forcefully before I came to this. I was too scared, though, and didn't really understand David. But now I do. Only now it doesn't matter because he's gone. From here, I'll continue to stay on the run. I don't plan to turn myself in until Hernandez says the prosecution is ready to drop all charges. Hernandez is trying his hardest back at home to mitigate the evidence against me and all of those charges. Clark's testimony about what happened last night should really help reduce the credibility of David's claims. Plus, the GoPros we set up across the warehouse won't hurt. David's confession about his mother was a bonus I hadn't expected. Originally, we had intended to lock David in the manager's office for the police to find. Clark had called the police just before attacking. Circumstances had changed the plan. Some of you wonder, well, what if David hadn't taken you up on the manager's office? Well, we had a contingency plan. That wasn't the only option. Regardless, all of our plans involved arresting David, not killing him. It was a last resort option and wasn't built into any plan. Didn't know I was prepared to kill until I had my gun aimed at David King. I don't know if I've fully processed that fact that I've killed someone. I don't know I'm supposed to feel or act or think or anything. I feel like I'm acting the wrong way. Anyway, there's another part that I will help persuade the prosecutor to drop the charges against me. I lied before when Hernandez came to visit me in the jail. I said he told me he couldn't talk about Isaac's death, but he did tell me. They found a video file on Isaac's computer from the day he died. He'd been recording himself playing video games on YouTube when there was a crash of silverware in the background. Isaac didn't hit pause on the recording and left the room to investigate. David came flying back into the room, shoving Isaac into the bookcases. He slammed the door and was on him in seconds. The assault lasted only minutes. David walked out, leaving the door wide open. The camera watched him come back into the room with my pillow. He held the pillow over Isaac's body and hit it repeatedly. All the dead skin from my pillow fell onto Isaac's body. They found those traces on Isaac's body, but the video proved that I hadn't killed him. David walked out and locked the door behind him. He'd made a mistake and hadn't checked what was running on the computer. All he saw was a game. Hernandez and I had been in contact while I was on the run. 
I lied about that, too. When I had first contacted him, he started crying on the phone, apologizing repeatedly. He told me that he knew if I stayed in jail that I would, at the very least, lose a lot of time out of my life while the trial went on, even if David was accused later as more evidence came out. He accepted David's deal and demanded that I'd be given half of the 15000 he was paid. David, as you know, only gave me 2000 but Hernandez had hoped it would help me lay low and evade capture until he could successfully contest the evidence. We fully intend to report the bribe to the police. He told me that after my escape from the car, the police were very suspicious about the circumstances of my escape. There were too many holes in the story, and Hernandez had been sure to point out every last one repeatedly to his boss. A lot of you pointed them out too. Paint from the truck rubbing off. Bars separating the front seat from the back seat, GPS in the truck, marking his whereabouts, the location of the crash in relation to the time David sounded the alarm, etc. David had clearly been desperate to get me out of jail. He'd risked bribing an official and left a lot of his plan up to chance to get me out. David just didn't want to end the game yet. If I went to jail, it was over. Yet there were still so many ways he could ruin my life. His need for quick action led to mistakes. Hernandez also told me that when he came to visit that Jackson had turned up. Who the fuck's Jackson? Must have been another roommate. He'd come home a couple days after I was arrested and was brought in for questioning, and he had proof and witnesses that he would, had been staying with his family for a few days. When asked about the break-in and theft, he told his story. David had knocked on the door just as Jackson was finishing packing to go on vacation. He told Jackson that he was a friend of mine and was helping me move out. Jackson let him in and finished packing. He was just walking towards the door with his suitcase when David asked if he would be willing to help carry out the TV. Jackson agreed and carried it out with David. He then grabbed his suitcase and left, asking David to lock up when he was gone. That's when he started stealing everything and trashing our house. That's also when Isaac would have come out and been killed. It solved the riddle of why the door had been locked and not broken when Clark found the apartment stripped bare. There are still some questions that I don't have answers to. We haven't been able to figure out what he did with all the things he stole from us. We also don't know who the partner is. Hernandez should know that in a few days and let me know. I also don't know how the key logger got onto my computer, or when the tracking app was installed on my phone, or how David was able to provide my social security number, driver's license number, and all other accurate information to the credit card companies. That same information goes for the fraud that was committed against my parents. I can't help but wonder if David had been in our house before the break-in and done all of that. As for Clark, his disgraceful exit was a fabrication to throw David off. It was my idea to make him disappear from my life and take the target off of his back. It was both to protect him from David's rage and so that he could support me in the background. His mom did come and bail him out, but she was much kinder about the situation and worried like all moms do. When I messaged Clark to tell him to my plan in posting the series, he immediately jumped to help me and without him, I'd still be watching David and waiting for a good moment to strike. It was his idea to plant the information about hiding the bank information on scraps of paper around town. It was placed as a joke and a way to tell if he was reading the series. We wanted to see if David would go hunting for them. He didn't, but that was probably because he was on the run still. <coughs> Clark's arraignment 
didn't go so well. He was still being charged for misdemeanor for graffitiing David's old house, and an expert was called to analyze the photographs and identified them as authentic and undoctored. Either David had someone doing one hell of a Photoshop job, or he took pictures from angles that cut me out naturally. We're still trying to figure out how to resolve the problem. With Katie, I have yet to see her beyond those brief moments while confronting David. It's only been a few days for all of you throughout this series, but for all of us, she's been missing for a year. I have no idea what David or his partner might have done to her during all of that time. I still don't know when I'll ever be able to see her again since I'm still on the run until the charges are dropped. If the charges are dropped, that is, I'm scared to see her. I know that, I know David did it, but I feel responsible. I wonder if she blames me. I wonder if she hates me. Maybe one day I'll know. What David said has shaken me. I spent a lot of time thinking about it today. He told me I was there for him and not for Katie, that I was after the dragon, not the princess. I've realized that he's right. I've read a few of your responses and agree with you. I didn't write all that much about Katie during the series. If it had been about Katie, I would have written more. The fact that I left her to go back and fight says volumes about why I set the trap. David was right. It wasn't about Katie. Katie was a result. It makes me feel guilty and dirty to think about. Maybe it would be the best if I never saw her again. She's not likely to want to see me. Katie, if you're ever reading this, if you can ever handle it, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Once again, thank you, Reddit. You've helped so much with your support, encouragement, and your unknowing aid in making this trap for David. I couldn't have done this without you. The last two years have been hell, but it's finally over. We ruined David fucking king <laughs> i ruined myself there was a companion series that you did i know i told you that <laughs> i i definitely i definitely so knowing that there's a companion series i definitely think david is still alive or he you know kind of um what's the bad guy from uh, sherlock holmes moriarty moriarty you know how when Moriarty died, he left a bunch of traps that were still active yeah. even in the event that he was gone? I think David is smart enough to have done that and try to convince the main character that he's still alive. That could be a pretty good companion series. That would be really cool. Um, him, him basically dealing with the ghost of David, maybe. Um, I think he's alive. I think they skimmed over his death pretty well they were like i shot him 10 times but like where and how and wouldn't did you, you like did, to know did you check his pulse did clark did anyone see his body did the cops show up and declare him dead like this guy like i want to i want to say for like maybe the first time that the generalizations and the, and the unspecificity about how this guy writes is honestly like a little frustrating mm -hmm. because there are just so many times where he uses overlong statements to say the same thing that he's been saying the entire time and then immediately contradicts them by not being specific in the next statement. So, like, I really don't know how to wrap up this series, but that's going to be the end of David for now. And maybe we'll get back to him some point in season six. 
You haven't seen The Last of Me! I mean, if you still want to do it, we can still go back to it at some point yeah. later. But that's that's going to be the end of him for season five. <laughs> oh, we're, no! We're going to put him to sleep for a little bit. Do you um, mind if I come on the show every once in a while? Say hi to my fans! Oh, please, 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 please. Fine. <laughs> so this has been uh, I dared my best friend to ruin my life and he's succeeding. Uh, Frowns, what did you what did you think of the series? I thought it was great. I thought it was really fun. You enjoyed it. Yeah, it was fun. It did read to me as like somewhat realistic. I guess like the most absurd thing was the the like hole on the lamb running from the police thing. Yeah. But like I guess the story had to go there at some point. It, just to progress it. Because like he was he ended last part in jail. Like yeah. there were only so many ways out of that. Mm-hmm. And part of me was like is is David gonna indict himself so that he could go to jail and, and murder this Fuck guy? Yeah. You know, was he was he gonna pay someone in jail to just beat the shit out of him every day or rape him. Like, that would have been I don't, that would have been a hell of a twist if he went to jail with him. Yeah. Don't drop the soap sender. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been a, a much worse ending. If David really wanted to ruin his life, I think that's the way you do it. That's right. <laughs> you make him exist in the prison system as your bitch for the rest of eternity <laughs> in time. You have to pay the troll to get in the boy's hole. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting stuff. It's not. It's not the most thought provoking. It's very straightforward. It's very yeah. It's very here's what's happened. You know, mm-hmm. react to it how you will. Um, I didn't hate it. I thought it was entertaining. I thought you you did a good job as David, which Ooh, which thanks. kept which kept me entertained. Um, I just if I have a hope for a companion series, I want more mystery. I want more tomfuckery. I want more reasons to be scared, you know, like I want it to be more than like I kidnapped your girlfriend and now you're dumb. Like, I I, I don't know. It just is it compelling enough for me that like if someone were to capture my girlfriend and, and, you know, claim to be ruining my life, like, yeah, totally. But like for the sake of a fictional story, as far as escalating things go, this entire series could have been like one or two parts shorter. What if the companion series is now Katie trying to ruin is his trying life. to kill him? Yeah, revenge. I would I would say that it's a dish act- best served lukewarm. But it's actually me. <laughs> I've cut off Katie's skin and I'm wearing it like a suit. <laughs> it keeps me warm like a tom tom. He like has sex with Katie. They they like they reemerge and they have like a romantic relationship. And then as he's having sex with her, <laughs> David removes his flesh mask. Yes, it's me. <laughs> I have boobies now. I got a sex change. Your wiener is inside of me, Xander. Do you like no. my vagina? And and now say and now say my vagina. Women are funny <laughs> and comedic, o- Xander. Get over it. Get over it. <laughs> Women are funny. Get over it. So, um, yeah, that would be a funny series. 
I I I liked Clark coming back. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. I and unexpected. Was, I thought that was a really good Deus Ex Machina. I kept asking myself, how is he going to get out of this shit? You know, he needs help from someone. These people can't do this shit by themselves. It was either that or I expected Hernandez. him to go. I expected him to go full home alone on this motherfucker. Oh. Like setting traps all throughout this warehouse, leading him to like, like I could have seen him putting like walkie-talkies all over the warehouse and, like, changing channels to talk through different ones at different times. Yeah. Kind of leading David down, like, a mouse trap. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe getting him trapped somewhere so that he wouldn't have um, Katie to threaten and hold against him. But, um, at the end of the day, the, the forward thought went into, which also what I thought of, which is setting up cameras and just trying to get... Uh, the confession out of David to admit that he had been behind all of it, which is pretty absolving if you survive the the turn of events. I feel like um, there is no reason for this guy to be on the run. I feel like all of the footage, Clark's testimony, Katie's testimony, um, Hernandez's adjusted testimony should all be enough to get this guy out of jail. Uh, I think that's actually the most interesting part about the companion series that I'm looking forward to, to seeing is um, how all of this shit went down, realistically speaking, and if, how, and when um, David comes back into uh, trying to ruin his life in some way, shape, or form. It, it either has to be him still alive or it's got to be Katie. Those are the only really two, like, like ways I would really well, I, like it to continue. I would like to think it's gonna be David. I would like to think it's David the entire time. But who's to say he hadn't, like, toy box killer, acid-dropped Katie every day for every week mm-hmm. for a year to make her forget who she is, change her loyalty. You know, uh, toy box killer is a prominent killer that would um, capture women bring them down to a dungeon and keep them there for weeks to months on a time, have sex with them. His wife would have sex with them. He'd beat them, torture them, do whatever. And then he would end it by dropping massive doses of LSDs directly into their eyes so that they would essentially forget what this guy looked like, forget how they were treated, forget what happened to them. And then whenever he was done with them, he'd just throw them back outside, leave them on the side of a road. So some women would go missing for a year and then just turn back up all, all tripped out of their mind, not being able to function in society anymore. And um, some of them went on to go and get recovery. And then next thing you know, uh, some 20 odd years later, a bunch of women start testifying that this guy had been doing stuff to them and they all corroborated on the same stories and mm-hmm. got this guy put into jail after, uh, yeesh, I think he was in his... I want to say, I think he was in his, like, 90s. Like, he died in jail, and wow. he had gotten away with it for... seventies, seventies 70s to 90s. He was an old man by the time they actually captured him. And um, I think his, his wife turned on him, and I think he got put in jail that way. I'm probably paraphrasing this pretty poorly, but the idea is that, much like a MK Ultra type of shit, like a mind-altering type of shit, we have no idea what Katie is like now oh or what David had done to her. Or even uh, the guy that was like, even the second guy. We have no idea. We have no, we know nothing about him other well, than his blonde hair. He's dead. 
Oh, that's right. David killed him. <laughs> Frowns, weren't you paying attention? <laughs> I murdered that fuck. <laughs> I went pew, 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 pew. And he went, uh, uh. I'm dead. <laughs> I'm dead. So basically, um, there, there are two alternatives I would like. Okay, I, three alternatives. Number one, David is still alive. Mm-hmm. He had Kevlard or survived multiple gunshot wounds. I'm okay with that. I've seen Halloween enough times to know that stupid shit can happen for no reason. We'll look at 50 Cent. Just, just to make a good... Hey, that's a good point. 50 Cent did, did survive. So, um, you know, that's a thing. David could still be alive. Number two, I would like a Moriarty thing more than a Katie thing. Um, I think him being dead but having set up all of these timed traps year after year after year to just continue to fuck with Xander's life could lead to something. And then option three would be by proxy of Katie. Katie, Yeah. Um, You know, who's to say that he hadn't, you know, tortured her and then put pictures of Xander in front of her and been like, this is the reason you're being tortured. And Mm -hmm. then did that for a year straight, turning her into some type of a ice cold badass. Or just revenge. For being kidnapped for a year and probably tortured. Oh, that's true, too. You're thinking of it a lot more simply. You know, she could just hate the guy. Yeah. I guess that's fair. Um, other way, or either way, this has been Lots of Pasta. This is, uh, part three of the I Dared uh, My Best Friend to Ruin My Life, starring Franz McBeauhu. Mc McYoohoo? <laughs> no, I don't. I love. I don't have chocolate milk. I love a Stop good yoohoo. Stop Can it. we have some yoohoo? I don't have any chocolate milk. Stop it. And I am, of course, your captain on this boat adventure journey of uh, fuckery to ruin each other's lives. Uh, something we've been doing to each other for the last, uh, you know, what twelve years? A very long time. Th- Thirteen years. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll be back soon. Uh, I assume you'll be seeing. Uh, frowns again um, come come the holiday season come come and goodbye from your own David fucking king away to the days and when the moon is high Atlanta till we stand at the shore.